Welcome to You, Me, Empathy. A safe place for leading with your heart. Hey, thanks for being here. You, Me, Empathy is the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective, a collaborative mental health community designed to empower each of us to grow our capacity for empathy, vulnerability, and emotional wayfinding. Just a friendly reminder that this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. You can support the show by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts, following us on social media at Yumi Empathy and Feely Human, and joining the Feely Human Collective community at feelyhuman.co. And now your host, Known Wells. Hello, Feely Humans. Welcome to another episode of Yumi Empathy. My name is Known Wells, and uh, this is day one million of the coronavirus pandemic. I am recording this intro in a very small room with two dogs and my partner in life, Jessica. It's very cramped. I think someone is farting. It's possibly me. Uh, And it's great. And I love it. And I couldn't be happier because this is episode 139 with my guest, author, and mental health advocate, Kit O'Malley. Kit and I on this episode talk about how we're coping uh, during the coronavirus. We actually recorded this back in April, which seemed like a lifetime ago. Uh, We talk about getting hyper-focused in times of crisis, growing up in chaotic households, feeling of belonging, and giving ourselves the grace of imperfection. Uh, Kit is a wonderful, feely human, a great advocate for mental health, and a tremendous author and writer as well. Um, Before we get to the episode, though, I wanted to remind you that you can call into the show. You can share your voice. You can ask me questions. You can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Just leave me a voicemail, and I will talk about it here on the intro. Um, The number is 949-346-4563. Again, 949-346-4563. Hope to hear from you, and don't be shy. It's all right. This is this is a safe space. You can ask whatever you want to ask, and I'd love to hear from you. Again, 949-346-4563. The other thing is, please leave a rating and review for Yumi Empathy in Apple Podcasts. It does help out the show. It's a free way to support the show. I recently also created a uh, page to help you out. Uh, It's called 10 Ways to Support Feely Human. If you go to feelyhuman.co slash support, Uh, There are financial ways, there are many non-financial ways uh, to be a part of the community and to support me and this podcast and the Feely Human Collective. Again, that's feelyhuman.co slash support, and make sure to leave a rating and review for Yumi Empathy in Apple Podcasts. And I guess I will just say um, also... This week, uh, in just a few days, um, I am releasing, releasing, that seems weird. Uh, I am sending, is the right word, is the right verb. I'm sending out the new newsletter, the latest dispatch of the Feely Human Collective newsletter. Uh, so if you want to be a part of that, and I hope you do, be a part of that email list. It's great. Uh, join the newsletter at feelyhuman.co. If you go to the homepage, feelyhuman.co, scroll down to the bottom and fill out that form at the bottom, you'll be part of the newsletter. So go do that. It's fun. Um, 
also, uh, I might be recording a second intro today because this week I'm going backpacking in the woods with my dear friend David. Very excited and excited to talk about uh, that experience when I get back. But until then, I hope you enjoy this episode. Episode 139 on belonging, imperfection, and chaotic households with my guest, Kit O'Malley. You, Me, Empathy, a podcast about exploring the struggles we face in our day-to-day lives as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of You, Me, Empathy is to talk openly without judgment about our mental health, our neuroses, our shared anxieties and worries, to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic, and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight So we can, hand in hand, break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being feely humans. Yumi Empathy is a safe, friendly space designed to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today, I'm in the midst of a pandemic and haven't showered in days, but still so happy and grateful to be chatting with mental health advocate and author of Balancing At... Balancing Act, Writing Through a Bipolar Life, it's Kit O'Malley. Hello, Kit. Hello. Is it known or known? It's known. Known. Thank yes. you, known. Yeah, you're welcome. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. I I I caught myself stumbling through that intro a couple of times, and I, I just went through it because I that's just where I'm at right now. I'm I'm you know, I mentioned uh, we're in this COVID-19 thing uh, as we record this, and I things are different, and my energies have been shifting in weird ways, and I'm just trying to kind of go with the flow. Yes, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure we can all kind of relate to that. It's it's a lot of a lot of new happening. A lot of new. Without a doubt, this is like. Uh, in our lifetimes, we've never experienced anything like this. Right, it's just, right. This gl- the, and and so, on such a global level, right? Right. Oh, with, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, with that said, we we do always kick off the show kit with a an emotional check in. How are you feeling? How how are things going in your household? Uh, I'm feeling. Oh, a, a, a dichotomy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm feeling. Yeah. A, a little bit anxious and a little bit, I was going to say relaxed because what I, I do have been doing to cope with the anxiety is uh, um, kind of just unplugging and I'm watching uh, a lot of TV <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I'm not alone. So I have my husband and my son home. My son's doing uh, Saddleback college online, which he's, 
not fond of. He prefers to go to a structured classroom setting to learn. Yeah. Uh, so he's missing a lot of the visual cues and social interaction. Um, and then my husband's been working from home too. Uh, he's an engineer and that's been challenging for him because the technology is just not really there. Like right. everybody's working from home and everybody's online. And that's not what our system was really set up for, you know, right? in it terms is, of yeah. bandwidth or, you know, getting into using you know uh software that's um you know isn't isn't doing the trick when you're doing it calling it right who knew like um you know every aunt in in the world uh had to like figure out what to do with zoom right right Right? (laughs) i mean It's, uh, it's wild and it's weird. And I, uh, my, my wife, Jessica, she teaches community college, um, and, and, uh, she's been doing online classes and it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a challenge, right? And it's, it's a different muscle. It's, it's, uh, from, from the student side and from the teacher side, it's just weird. Right. Yeah. And so with that sort of, um, anxiety you're having you're you said you're coping with some tv what are what are some other things that are helping you um i think it's uh well we've been getting groceries delivered rather than going grocery shopping um so that that's something i've done in the past when i was sick you know it's just mm. like well i can't go to the grocery store um i, I didn't you know um so that's been helpful um we still have to like wipe down everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my husband used recently went to uh, and had himself tested for the virus and he didn't have any antibodies to it. So therefore I would assume that none of us in this small family did because mm. we're pretty close together. We're yeah. not, you know, we can stay in different rooms, but we don't We're We're a close family. Right. Um, and uh yeah, lots of crossword puzzles on, on my iPad, connected to my iPad doing, you know, solitaire and crossword puzzles. Really very simple things because my brain just can't do, well, I wouldn't say can't, but I'm not, I'm just, I know that there's so much I'm coping with and we're all coping with yeah. in terms of just our ordinary mental health, right? Just any everybody has mental health so yep. you know so trying to keep ourselves healthy physically and mentally is kind of the what comes first and foremost right now yeah absolutely and i mean i relate to that i i have someone uh, i am someone who um has depression uh clinical depression and anxiety and and it's um this thing has been a, a challenge, right? Like I, I rely on getting outside and I, I luckily I feel very grateful and lucky in that I live close to a regional park. I can just walk right in, you know, um, and still access that. And I try to do right. it like early in the morning when there's not a lot of people, not that there are, but it's still, so I'm still able to get that, but it's still a, it's still a thing that, 
is hard. It's still a thing that like, I have to be mindful of like, where I'm at mentally, and checking in with myself emotionally, you know? Right, right. So how is how has that been with you and your mental health specifically? Like, are there, you know, things you're 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 thinking of and doing or or not doing that that, you know, like, how has it like impacted your own sort of mental illness? Well, you know, something that's interesting is that I had, I've been, I did a couple of sessions FaceTime with my psychologist. And I really felt like right now I'm kind of in a holding pattern, which mm. is sort of weird that, that I'm not in a crisis. The world's, I think one of the reasons is because I'm, I'm in the, I tend to be in the eye of a storm if, if there's crisis around me. Mm. I, I, it partly my therapist thinks it's part of my personality, but also, you know, I was a child of alcoholics. And so that, uh, that's sort of a skill, um, that I have. So I didn't even need it. Like there's so much going on around me that I, I tend to focus, um, Mm. hyper, you know, I tend to, um, put off, the feelings. It's not that I'm in denial. It's just my body. That's what my body and brain do in a crisis. Right. Um, so, I mean, I've worked in, you know, when I was young, I did a lot of volunteer work. I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. I, I did a lot of volunteer work in hospitals. Um, I was once a therapist who worked with severely emotionally disturbed kids. So I have like that background. Um, so when things are in a crisis like this, I just kind of, do what needs to be done. Same with um, mourning. And it's actually very common in mourning that there's this period of time after the death of a loved one where you have to take care of business. And so in that taking care of business mode, you might not be feeling the grief because you have to deal with all the financial repercussions, you know, you know, deal with, you know, everything that's the sort of business of death. Right. Um, and so I have that going on and the, the COVID-19 crisis. And so I just sort of, my own emotional needs are sort of less. Mm. Now, when I'm dealing with, say, my husband who has anxiety, um, I, I will, one of the things I do is I just will like give him a little, you know, visual cue for a stop. (laughs) 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 Like I, I can't. You know, like he starts, he's got an engineer's mind. So when he starts to go into maybe a conspiracy theory, because he enjoys thinking that way, he, you know, it's like uh, engineers tend to think in terms of West, worst case scenario, because that's what they design to sure. solve problems for. Yeah. And so um, I'll have to tell him, stop. I know he's having fun with it or whatever, but I like, I can only take so much of conspiracy theories. <laughs> <laughs> Because you know that it'll eventually sort of impact your own mental health? Yeah, I think yeah. so. It's like if I if I take on a lot of his, you know, gerbil on a, you know, I'll point out you're kind of being a little bit of a gerbil on mm. a, you know, going, just going in circles and standing still, you know, not going anywhere in a little, I, I don't know what to say, what you call those things. A wheel, I guess? A wheel, a gerbil yeah. on a wheel. Yeah. yeah, gerbil running on a wheel. So, um See, I'm not, I'm, my word finding is not as good as it usually is. So I do have that symptom uh, that sometimes when you're overwhelmed, you can't 
find the words you need. Um, and actually, as I was thinking about that, it reminded me that um, before this crisis, I was going through a crisis in in August um, because I was ramping up on publishing my book, mm. and um, and I noticed that I was ramping up from hypomania, and I did I wanted to put a nip in that before it got to full-blown mania and so i uh went to my psychiatrist and he put me on uh, an antipsychotic on top of everything else you know my other two med- uh, psych meds so and that has helped tremendously oh good like like tremendously um and uh so um that's helped me go through this time too yeah. and i just and just chilling you know playing yeah. Just watching you know, TV and and uh, uh, doing crossword puzzles and solitaire and just not expecting myself to really do much. And I've noticed I've started to get better over time because I also got sick too. Um, mm. And I thought maybe it's COVID-19, but who knows, you know, but I'm an asthmatic. So mm. whenever I get any, any upper respiratory infection, it goes into my lungs. So I was, uh, so when I was the sickest, um, I, uh, d- wouldn't even make dinner and stuff like that. Like my husband and I had this, he's really, he's a great provider and great support. And whenever I'm not up to par, he'll step in and make dinner, even if it means like microwaving something, you know what I mean? It's just, yeah, of course. um, you know, I'm the, the better cook, but I'm not always up for cooking. So, and so I've know I, I've been getting better in terms of physical and mental health because they kind of, for me, go hand in hand. Yeah. And as I've gotten out, you know, from that with my aggressive treatment using my asthma meds and stuff, um, I've come out of that and now I'm more energetic in that I can make dinner. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, that's great to hear. And I, I, I'd imagine a lot of people can relate to the... Um, the initial response to this thing, this thing being like COVID and coronavirus and, and the, the anxiety of it, like the initial response being this, oh shit, what do we do? Like, I don't know how to deal with this. Like what's happening? I, I'm, you know, I, and there's no wrong or right way to like respond to that. Like, however you're responding to that is okay, I think. And we have to have empathy and compassion for however people are responding initially. But there's probably, like you said, Kit, like an initial sort of like, okay, like I'm going to be still in this. It's like, you know, you're just like maybe hiding a bit. And then like, as you sort of like, okay, like I'm, you know, I'm going to like step my foot outside of the cave a little bit. Right. Be a little curious. Okay, how am I responding to this? And then you get a little better, right? You like, okay, I can do this. I can, I can cook, or I can, I can, I can, I can make this work, right? right. And then, like, I, I so relate to the, um, the analogy of you know, like, you growing up in an environment where you, uh, you, you know, there was some alcoholism. You felt maybe, um, uh, I guess not out of control, but like you were like the, like I, I'm not, I'm not going to put those words into your mouth, but how I grew up was I felt like I had to be um, not a, not a rock, but like a, a calming force in an environment that felt very out of control and a little, 
uh, wild and 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 not in control, right? And so, and that and that's and there was some you know trauma in there. So like how I'm dealing with this now, like feels maybe a little. I don't know if comforting is the right word, but like it feels a little similar in some ways because like, oh, like I, I've experienced this level of, not the, the exact level, but like bits of this hecticness, bits of this like people freaking out and, and me sort of feeling a bit of calm in it, which is kind of in a way sad, but also like comforting. Like, oh, I, like I, can, I can do this. I can get through this. Right. I think that having grown up in um, homes where there was some significant chaos um, helps you to like develop skills yeah. that are useful later in night life. I mean, there's the, the functional part and then there's the dysfunctional part. And I think we both had some dysfunctional part. I read some of your stuff about anorexia. Oh, yeah. Um, and yep. I actually did that too. Um, my sister and I both starved ourselves in our 20s. Mm. Um, uh, and, and I always tried to be perfect. Oh, yeah. Because I thought if I was perfect, that it would be okay. Even it was, it wasn't a conscious thing, but I was like a real hardcore perfectionist who had to out achieve everything being that, you know, the top in the class and the best at this and best at that. Um, and uh, as I've, uh, and that led to me being like at 18, you know, um, suicidal. Um, right. And uh, uh, I've had to unlearn perfectionism and accept that I'm not in control, sort of the serenity prayer, whether, you know, yeah, yeah. I, and um, I mean, I'm, uh, and that's, helped me a lot yeah and 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 to, to enjoy the beauty in imperfection um which i think of like when i think of it and I, it's the analogy is that i can't think of i'm going to say the word wrong but there's a japanese broken pottery where they put back the pieces with gold and it's considered more beautiful than the original yes because of how those pieces were put back together right um and it's concert cons- I don't know. I can't. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Suki, I don't know. It's some something with a K. And uh, uh, so, but you can just look up on the internet, Japanese broken pottery. It's gorgeous. And so I have, it's like, it's a lot of work. I mean, I've been, in, I'm 56 and I've mm-hmm. been in and out of therapy um, since I was 18 and on meds since I was 30. So, um, and I was a therapist, yeah. so I'm still li- licensed. But um, so I've it's been I've worked very hard to get to where I am, and uh, and and to allow myself that imperfection. Um, so and to embrace it. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> I wonder if you can relate to this, Kit. I like I I hear you say that, and it it you know it. Uh, I feel, I feel one, I, I feel very empathetic. I feel um, also very hopeful. And I also like, am reminded of the fact that like, I, I see this life, you know, whether or not one believes in an afterlife or not, that's not, that's not what it's about. I, I see this life as something that is about growth, right? And learning and, and also 
struggle, right? And that's part of it and highs and lows and the myriad of like emotions that we contain and multitudes that we have in us in our capacity for, for love and loss and all of these things. Like, I think that's the beauty of humanity. Um, there's, I think the, 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 the knowing path, the, like the, you know, what you're talking about, the figuring out who we are, figuring out all of this stuff, like it getting better over time. And sometimes mm-hmm. we stumble like that is, that is what life is. Don't you think? Yes. Yes, totally. Yeah. It's a journey and it's, it's a journey. You know, yeah. So, and the journey can be really hard at times, but what's great about, um, age <laughs> life experience is that I can look back over my life and it makes sense. So it might not have made sense when I was going through it, but a perspective is, you know, is wonderful. And yeah. so I'm pretty mature in my living with uh, mental illness. I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem with calling uh, depression or bipolar mental illness. Um, you know, I've, you know, lived it and looked at it and understood it. And, um, and it, it actually makes sense. Mm. And I'm part of that, I believe, like making sense of hardship is, um, is that as a human, I think it's very human, whether or not, regardless of belief, to, um, uh, as you were talking about, learn, you know, mm-hmm. to learn from that and to uh, frame it in a way that's healthy for you. You know, and I do think it's all about love. Like, mm-hmm. like w- when I think about like all the different belief systems out there, um, it's all always about love. So you can be an atheist and you can be like hardcore whatever religion and you still basically if you look it's just different words for the same thing yeah because we're all like we all need to love and be loved that's like this most basic thing yeah yeah no i agree completely now you talk about like looking back and the 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 wisdom in that and and the 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 privilege in that right like looking being able to look back at at your past life and, and, you know, your life as a child and your life, you know, and, and these hardships you have and, and, and gleaning things from them. Right. You know, yes. that, that's such a, how, what are, what are some of the things that you sort of in your life, like you look back on a previous self, right. Your, yourself in your twenties or whatever, like what are some things you've learned about yourself in, in that practice of looking back? Um, well, one of the things, and this isn't so much in, in t- I'm going to start with the sort of the exterior, mm-hmm. because as I've gone through this, this type, this phase in my life, which has been in the last few years have been very difficult because of what's been happening around me. You know, I, I, I had a high needs uh, kid. He's doing very well now, but he struggled with migraines and sort of comorbid anxiety and depression Mm. you know they're kind of like mixed up and at one time uh was you know treated as adhd i don't know if he still has that diagnosis that we don't really talk about that anymore um and he you know a lot of um what i was going through had to do with taking care of him Mm. so um and then when my parents um fell apart he was still in in a 
a tough place in high school. And here he was in a tough place even before, like, you know, my mom had a stroke and, you know, we were having to deal with all these things with one of the people, you know, that he loved most, you know? So, um, you know, I might be a lot more ambivalent about my mom, whom I loved very much, but still, you know, she uh, was a narcissist, I think, you know, she never, ever apologized ever. And she could be just vicious. Mm. Um, And uh, so, um, you know, but I loved her. So, and it was nice. And we came to a, uh, I guess I'm not talking about, I'm not answering your question exactly. It's I'm okay. Kind of, it's okay. I love but, where you're going. Okay. So when I was, you know, when I was in my twenties, I was, uh, uh, late mid to late twenties, I was a psychotherapist, like I mentioned before. And, um, I had a client who was a 16 year old male, much taller than I was, um, who attempted to rape me during a session. And I ended up getting, you know, I went to the phone, he unplugged the, you know, he disconnected the phone. And luckily I was able to get out of the office and get help. Um, uh, so that, that, and my, uh, grandmother's death and a death of a close friend from high school, one of our, uh, um, who had AIDS, like, all those things together, I just completely fell apart. Mm. And um, my parents ended up, you know, they came to the rescue. And so all the anger that I'd been feeling and going through in therapy in my 20s, all of a sudden it was just like, wait a minute, these people love me and would do anything for me. And also I looked at like, I worked with clients and families that were far more, not all of them, but some of them were far more dysfunctional than my own. And I could still see that the parents loved the kids. You know, it was, that wasn't the issue. It wasn't lack of love. It was that they were carrying on, you know, sort of dysfunctional uh, patterns from their upbringing. And they may be struggling too with mental health issues. So, um, I was like, well, if I can see that in these, if I can have that compassion for these families, you know, how about my own mm-hmm. <laughs> family mm-hmm. and parents? Um, you know, maybe I, you know, it's just, it's not like there was intent there to harm. Um, so, uh, you know, my mom wasn't evil, <laughs> my right. dad, and my dad, and my dad kind of always tried to kind of like, say, yes, you're right, this is, you know, not not your fault. But at the same time, he was always backing our mom because that was his wife and partner. So that was hard. Yeah. Um, but, um, and I really a lot got through uh, my upbringing because of my sister, because we would look at each other and go, this is crazy. <laughs> You had a comrade in arms. I, yeah, that yeah. totally helped because we look at each other and we're like, what? <laughs> so, uh, wow. Um, yeah, that helps a lot. And I actually feel a little bit bad for my son because he doesn't have a sibling. But um, but I think that he was a kid who needed so much attention growing up that I don't know, you know if we would have been able to be there for him if there had been another sibling. Um or it wouldn't have been equitable, you know? Right, right. And also, I, as soon as I realized I had bipolar, 
I wasn't diagnosed until I was 39. So, um, and at that point we decided, okay, no more kids, at least for now until we figured this out. And then, and then it was just like, okay, now I'm in my forties and no. Right. Right. So, um, uh, so anyway, um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I appreciate that. And, and thank you for sharing. And I, I think you, you, you speak about that, those experiences, those experiences so compassionately and I, I, and, and, and there's a lot of empathy, right. in your, you know, you're thinking around um, your relationship with your sister, right. And the, and the, the, you know, what you got out of that relationship and how it helped you sort of cope and experience this thing that felt wild and out of control. And, Oh my God, would you look at this? And then, you know, I think like, you know, you clearly were impacted by that experience and, and, and then, you know, you know, there, there's a, there's clearly like, uh, some thinking around, like, obviously, you know, you raising, um, a son, uh, that doesn't have, you know, a sibling, like there's, there's empathy there. You see that like, oh, like that might've been a thing that was easier, but like, this is how it happened. And, and, you know, like you recognize that. Right. And I think that's, that's, that's empathy, you know, right. and I, I appreciate that. Right. And he always, we always, my, both my husband and I were like, okay, we're, we, I mean, we did therapy with him when he was young until he sort of said, eh, I'm done with therapy for now. I'll let you know when I need it, which mm-hmm. is when he was 10. And yeah. I was just like, since he started at four, I'm like, that's okay. You don't have to go. You know, you, just, you have to take meds for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So he'd see the psychiatrist and talk to the psychiatrist, but he wouldn't see a separate therapist until later, which he's done a few different times when he's felt the need to in the moment. Um, but we always said, hey, we know we're not quote unquote normal or typical people. And my husband said, hey, I'm an engineer. Engineers are different, you know, in terms of the way they think. And, and I said, you know, I have bipolar disorder. I know that's not easy to be the child of somebody with bipolar disorder. My symptoms are far milder now. There were times in my past when I lost it with my son, you know, um, and I would apologize. It wasn't right, you know, to, <laughs> to slap your child because they called you an effing bitch, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, but I did because I was angry and I'm like, but that's not good parenting. So, um, uh, yeah, so we, I always was open with yeah. him. You know, and the the openness is is I I think so important, right? Like, I and and you know maybe you can relate to this. I grew up at a time where maybe there wasn't some of that openness, right? And um, you know there was there were certain things hidden, like it just like it was a different time, and yeah. And I'm so grateful that we live in a time now where that openness around mental health is is getting better right there's more vulnerability around it there's there's acceptance around it yeah i think it's improved quite a bit but i know that even with uh you know like when i wrote my book or i put stuff on on um my blog Mm -hmm. you know i know that i got some reactions you know that were from family member not within my three the three of us but out in extended family I'm just mm. leaving that name blank. Um, you know, that I was, uh, you know, hurting people by doing that. 
And um, I was like, most people who read what I've written acknowledge my compassion for my parents um, and my love for my parents. So have even in writing about the dysfunction um, or in writing about my son, I, I try, always try to write and understand things with compassion. Not so much compassion. I mean, I needed to work through a lot of my anger um, and um, when I was younger in my 20s to be able to come to that place. Um, you know, I think that if people like, you know, f forgive or have compassion prematurely before they've actually felt, you know, you have to, you have to process yeah, before absolutely. you can get to that state. And I'm not saying that people have to forgive or have to have compassion because some things are just so reprehensible, you know, it's like, no, you don't have to, yeah. <laughs> you have to heal. That's all you have to do. Um, and there has to be like a, um, I, I do think like in those, I agree completely. You don't have to forgive. I think it's, it's such a unique journey for each party party. But if there is um, a coming to terms with like whatever happened, whatever it may be between, you know, son and daughter, a parent, um, there has to be a mutual uh, understanding of like what happened and, and the reality of, this thing that emotional experiences are true and real. Mm -hmm. And however, whatever happened, uh, the emotional reality is real, right? And there was an impact there and that needs to be um, recognized. Right. And it wouldn't be recognized, but you can't expect people to recognize it. Like the, no. You do, no. other people, you right. know what I mean? Right. Like there are people who they will just, like my mom's an example where she she never ever apologized yeah. ever yeah. for anything ever <laughs> so and i just I, I just i understood she was incapable of it mm. you know it took it took me a long time to come to that place but i just had to accept who she was and how she was and understand that she's just her her brain her it's not um yeah, I'll call it her brain because I don't really believe people use the term personality disorder for some mental illnesses that mm -hmm. actually are brain disorders. And there's a certain stigma, a huge stigma, along with calling things personality disorders. And there's also like not parity for the treatment of those yeah. uh, diagnoses, um, which is wrong. Right. Because they're every bit as real as my bipolar disorder. Right. So, well, I like I, you know. Oh, my love, I love it so much. I don't <laughs> <laughs> but having bipolar disorder, yeah. Um, you know, uh, the lack of insight to both. Okay, that's in terms of personality disorders. What my beliefs are. I really strongly believe that it, we. It's a misnomer, and I usually don't care about uh, misnomers. Are you still there? My yeah, little? I'm here. Yeah. Okay. Um, but. It's just my screen did something. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but, uh, yeah. Anyway, and then there's other mental illnesses where there, and I had this myself too, where there was a lack of insight. Even going through therapy, there was a, I had a lack of insight as to how severe my, my mental illness was. 
right. or as to, as to what it was. I mean, because, and I know later in my life, like my sister and a priest I, I saw for spiritual direction at the time said, you know, how could they, how could you not have been diagnosed bipolar? It was, you were so obviously manic. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's because at that time they thought it was, I was having a reaction to medications, to antidepressants. Um, and now we understand that when your brain reacts that way to medications, it could be that you're bipolar or it could be just a chemical reaction. And actually, that's what the psychiatrist, the second, second psychiatrist I saw. I, see. Um, I ended up moving back in with my parents um, because that I had a manic week where I didn't sleep and I was thinking psychotically. Um, and, um, I ended up moving back in with my parents cause I just couldn't take care of myself. Mm. Um, and, uh, I was never, you know, I still was just treated with antidepressants, but very low dose and titrating up very slowly. Every time I'd have racing thoughts, I'd call the psychiatrist and the psychiatrist said, okay, now break it in half. <laughs> Let's do it this way. You know, it's, so yeah, it's, uh, it's a endless game. <laughs> um, right. How how did your parents react to, you know, you having these diagnoses, diagnoses, or you dealing with quote unquote mental health? Yeah, well, they when I became a psychotherapist, they were not happy, mm. especially because I went to uh, a leftist school in San Francisco, where they kind of combined Freud and Marx. <laughs> And they were like, you're never going to get a job. You're going to be blacklisted. I'm like, I, the, the school is New College of California. It doesn't uh -huh. exist anymore. And I'm like, I live in San Francisco. <laughs> this, is like, this is like. I mean, that's that's the place where those things exist. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going to get blacklisted from jobs in the Bay Area. Right, it's just not right. going to happen. And I said, and all my professors, they work in the bay area and my colleagues work in the bay area and this is like i'm a part of a community um but uh yeah so, so that, was it was it driven by the fear that you won't get a job or was it more of the the leftist politics or whatever uh, the leftist politics but yeah. i think too they didn't like me they were very threatened my mother was very threatened by me um blaming her um and um and in fact even before that like one of the first therapists i saw um i quit ucla because of the uh depression and suicidality and then i saw a therapist who wanted my mom to come in with me mm -hmm. and my mom refused and i was trying to say this this woman has t young adult daughters and she knows what it's like to have to be a mother of young adult daughters and she wants to help us. Right, right. <laughs> she's, like, she's not, it's not, I said, she, she relates to you. <laughs> right. Like, but she was used. And it, but when I came home with the complete breakdown, that changed everything. Hmm. Because then they were, they rescued me. Um, and I listened to their advice because I had to. And um, I sort of turned away from, I, I had already done, I kind of did less psychodynamic therapy, which is kind of like family of origin stuff. Yeah. And uh, 
did, you know, I needed, when you're in a crisis, you really, that just sort of digs you deeper and deeper. And when you're in a crisis, it can help to just have sort of a supportive psychotherapy and, um, which is just trying to put yourself back together (laughs) (laughs) um, and cope, you know, coping mechanisms. Right. Um, So, how did so, your parents when you when you did move in how how did they help you what advice were they giving you Well they took me to and from uh, a group practice where I saw a psychiatrist and a therapist and I think they helped me choose who that person was and mm. and then they um so this isn't really I'm not really talking maybe it's just sort of how they how they treated me they gave me at first they didn't have any expectations of me you know, mm-hmm. and then as I started getting healthier, once I was on the meds and, and kind of putting myself back together, then they um, uh, started to charge room and board and gave me things to do to make money to, to pay off my debt. Mm. So I had like a promissory note and stuff because they paid off they paid off my credit card debt, which wasn't high, but. You know, um, and then and then I also was paying room and board, and then I couldn't make enough money to pay off the room and board, so I got a temp job. So so, they, so all the things they did, and they didn't do it like you know charge me room and board right when I couldn't work. They kind of eased me into um, recovery, mm. and um, and so. Uh, so there, I don't, maybe it's, I, I said advice. I'm not thinking in terms of d- advice, although I think that the way that they cope, that they parented, reparented me and parented me very, in those few months was, uh, um, perfect. Mm. That's great. <laughs> so, um, you know, not everybody is in that place where they can have that recovery. You know, you can't, no, not everybody can, you know, do that. Yeah. Um, even with meds, even with therapy, like I'm on disability now, if I tr- go try to, even just this will trigger me mm. just talking to you. Um, and I tend to get triggered and then kind of flip into hypomania. Um, I get overstimulated by social stimulation and then the whole cycling goes through unless I just, I really plan before and after how I'm going to take care of myself, which is what I do now. I'm like, okay, I know this is going to be exhausting, which it could be for, um, uh, what's the, I'm forgetting what's the difference between, I'm having trouble remembering words. It's okay. Between an introvert. Uh-huh. It's also sort of a personality thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm kind of a social introvert in that I have social skills and I was a drama geek and stuff like that. I went, so I am good at public speaking or interacting with one. I have the social skills, but it affects me. It exhausts me. Yeah. So I can't be around people all the time. I need to have like that room of my own. It's just actually a shared room, but I need to be able to close the door. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm with you 100% on that. I'm the same way. I I think I can do pretty well public speaking, engaging with people, but then yeah, it 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 uh it exhausts me for sure. Yeah. yeah. Right. And actually what's been great is as I've um here in um 
Southern California and Orange County, I've connected with people like through the Orange County writers, OC writers. Oh, cool. Which I don't go to write-ins anymore, um, but I did for a while. And um, and uh, being connected to writers and being sort of embraced by them and seeing that we had the same sort of personalities and also my involvement with NAMI. Mm-hmm. And again, connecting with people and realize I, I don't do stuff regularly. Uh, and actually, I, I do, you know, I have done public speaking for NAMI, but, um, and just my online community of mental health mm-hmm. advocates that you go, oh, I, hey, this is my tribe. Other people experience this too. Um, so it's uh, kind of normalized it for me, you know, it was, or, or helped with my acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and and made me feel like I belonged, which I, I had like my whole life. We moved a lot as a kid when I was a kid, and um, so I always felt like an outsider because I'd be coming from a very different culture, like from Saudi Arabia, where I lived for five years as a kid, to Massachusetts, which is a very different wow, <laughs> and to Southern California, which is very different, yeah. to Pennsylvania, which is very different, back to Southern California, and then I moved back and forth between Southern California and the Bay Area, mm-hmm. um, so um, which are also different cultures. So. Uh, I uh, always felt like an outsider with like one foot in and one foot out, which is also kind of the, um, what I was in my alcoholic family system, like one foot in one foot out. Right. Yeah. So, and as a therapist, one foot in one foot out, because that helps you to be able to understand what's going on and be connected to those people, but also to uh, be able to look critically at what's going on. Right. Right. Uh, for self-care and understand, you know, so, um, and I don't know where I was planning on going with that, but there you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, there's so much, I think, um, like I, I've been writing and thinking a lot about just like the self-knowing journey, right. And mm-hmm. how important that is to health and recovery and, and all that. And, and part of that is, is in how we reflect uh, with others and and others are mirrors for each other right mm-hmm. and and that's what community can bring us is that insight and that's why it's so important right. even for us introverts right well that's yeah. what i think so wonderful about the internet yeah is yeah. that we do have these meaningful relationships um with other people and when when I've met those people in real life at conferences, which I don't do conferences anymore, they really wipe me out. Mm. But when I've met them, I'm like, you're you're we're exa- you're exactly the person you were online. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? like I know you, and they know me, and it's just like that's such a wonderful thing because the people in our community um, are honest. Yes, they're not afraid to be vulnerable and show their true selves. Right. Yeah. Which is beautiful. It it's is. just incredible. It's um, and it's so loving. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's been huge. And you know, you mentioned the book you wrote. What like what is the status of that? What what are actually let's let's back up on that. Like what is your goal with that book? My goal was um most of that writing came from my blog, 
but the mm. longer pieces were adapted and rewritten and you know sorted and um it's sort of a rewriting of my first book but it's much better than my first book um and um my goal was simply to put my experience in a form where people who might not get it if they went to my blog you know if they didn't read my blog and mm -hmm. also it's it's thematic so because i feel a lot of my pieces just sort of get lost um and having it thematic and, and organized gives people a way to sort of uh walk my journey with you know and understand it and i really always have written not just like uh um my posts are not about complaining per se i've always tried to be um, I don't know if I tried to be, but I ended up being inspirational. Hmm. Um, that's what people told me when I was writing. And so I've continued in that vein. Um, in fact, the last conference I went to was a writer's conference um, in Irvine. And um, I went to a workshop and the professional writer who was, uh, uh, who I read a piece of my uh, work or I read it or no, she read it. She like, shared her story which she said she had never shared in her life and she said the power of my writing is that i open the door for other people to do the same mm, that's beautiful yeah. yeah so that was a huge compliment she's like she said after she said she said this is what this you know this she said this is powerful um, so, but I'm not getting a lot of sales. So, and I, I basically stopped doing the marketing because last year I lost, you know, income taxes Right. and I added up all the money I'd spent, you know, on editing and, you know, design, and, you know, all this stuff. And it was just like, I lost a lot of money. So I'm taking a break from marketing. I don't want to be real obnoxious now during COVID-19 and, you know, sure. <laughs> you like, need this book to read you're is, at home you're right exactly exactly right. like i could do that but that's yeah. like mm, i don't know if i really want to do that right, right so uh uh so i'm just sort of um waiting a wait and see mm. um and uh you know um yeah yeah, I mean I I've read uh a handful of your your blog posts and i you know i think I commend you because I, I think that anything that, I mean, I, I say it ad nauseum on this show, Kit, but like when we can as humans go through experiences, right? Whatever that experience is, and it's unique to our own journey, right? And then we can share that with others to allow them in, to allow them mm -hmm. to relate and empathize and allow them, you know, to your point, inspired to write themselves and share their own stories and be vulnerable or in their own circles of friends. And that's, that's the you know, that's the rippling tide, you know, that's the, the circle, you know, rippling in the, in the, in the lake that, that we can do and we can impact and we can affect in others. And it's a beautiful thing. Right. Yes. Yeah. I thank love you. it. Yeah. So. And thank you for your writing too. I mean, I, oh, yeah. I, I was just today writing about, you know, your, the piece you had in a medium about mm. sort of about me piece. Yeah. Where you talk about your journey with your father and, um, and your anorexia. And, and I, I could relate to parts of that for mm. sure. 
not with the infidelity, but that, you know, that it was a dysfunction that, you know. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. You know, my relationship with my parents is tricky, you know, to be perfectly honest. I don't really speak with my father anymore. And and that's a boundary I've set. And, and, you know, I I check back in with that boundary every year. And and I, I continue sort of working on that. And things with my mother are different as well. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm working on allowing there to be safe boundaries for me, but still sort of exist in this place where I can be present in the way that I need to be present, not them, right? Right. Because there there are certain things about my life that they just don't see or accept, right? Right. And I can be angry about that. I can be upset about that. And those are valid emotions, but I'm working on it. And I think I'm just, you know, I'm 38. I'm still working through that process and trying to create those boundaries. Uh, But it's hard. It's hard to make that separation, right? It is. It is. Yeah. I mean, I even just had boundaries with my mom in terms of not like I would never talk. I actually, before she had her stroke, I would play words with friends with her and talk to her every day Mm. um, for a while, you know, for a number of years. And, um, and, but I would never talk to her after 3 p.m. Because I knew that, you know, pretty soon she's going to start drinking. And then when she drinks, she gets mean. Gotcha. So, um, and like my family, when they were well, we'd go and visit them. And, you know, um, and we, they used to live in Hermosa Beach and we live in Mission Viejo. So it was like, an, well, we lived in Laguna Niguel then. Anyway, it was about an hour. Yeah. And from here, you know, and we would never stay the night. <laughs> no, <laughs> don't want to do that. Excuse. You know, like when my sister visited, she'd be visiting from out of town. So she'd have to, to spend time and, you know, try to figure out the, she was better at uh, uh, boundaries. She's better at boundaries than I am. Yeah. Uh, just because of who I am. I've always been very open my whole life since I was a little, little bitty kid. Um, so, but, uh, I started doing this 3 PM or never overnight thing. And then this one, one Friday, I, um, noticed my mom didn't play her turn and didn't respond in words with friends. And I was like, Oh, it's over three. I can't after three, I can't call now I'll call tomorrow. And when I called the, so something was wrong. I knew something was wrong, but I yeah. didn't call until the next day. And my dad answered the phone, which he basically never did because he had uh, alcohol-related dementia. And mm. he couldn't remember from one minute to the next, you know, th- three minutes later. He couldn't. It just wasn't, he wasn't capable. The short-term memory was gone. He still had the same personality, basically, more or less. Um, I guess my mom was afraid of him. So some of his behavior had changed. Mm. Um, but he answered the phone and he said, my mom was taking a nap. And I was like, okay, that's odd. And I, I, and then my mom apparently gestured and he gave, oh, he said, oh, she's awake. And she kind of gestured for him, you know, to bring her the phone. And she, she got on the phone and she went, ah, and I'm like, oh my God, my mom had a stroke. 
Hmm. Like it was obvious to me. I'm not a doctor, but it was right. obvious to me. Right. Somebody who had been super articulate and a debater and all this kind of stuff. She was like super high. The, my parents were both type A's, hmm. super high achievers. And so I was just like, oh my God. And so I, um, I had my mom put my dad on the phone. I explained to my dad that I was going to call 911 and have somebody call come. I knew he didn't, he wouldn't remember. Um, you know, I told my mom I was going to call that she had had a stroke and I told her and I told him and then I, you know, got called 911. They patched me through to their local um, 911 and um, had somebody come out. I spoke to them. They, you know, my, my, my mom, I believe, had a stroke. She can't talk. My dad has dementia. You might need to get me on the phone with him. And I just, uh, you know, and I, uh, you know, my husband and I just went straight over. Um, and wow. our lives had been, all of our lives were the, at that point in time, completely changed. Yeah. Um, because she had been his caregiver. That's the thing about caregiving too. I have a huge respect for caregivers because it's very difficult. And for those of us with mental illness, I think it's really important to understand what our partners are going through as our caregivers. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So, uh, because it's like my mom might not have had her stroke if she hadn't in the position of taking care of somebody with dementia, right. uh, which is extremely difficult. Um, and, um, so, uh, and again, I don't remember where I started <laughs> intended that to go. No, I, you were just, uh, relating to what I was saying and I, that right. that's a lot. That's a, you know, that's a. That's a loss. I mean, obviously, the loss of losing your parents, but there's a loss in that and prior to that, right? And and the, how Correct. that changes and impacts, you know, how that dynamic changes and impacts your own direct family, you know? Right. Yeah. Definitely. Without a doubt. I mean, yeah. I, I remember one time visiting and um, my sister's son, my sister was visiting with her family, my sister's eldest son, because my son and her eldest son are both the same age mm. and um when we actually married brothers so not at the same time <laughs> <laughs> so we uh they um they both were the most impacted of the kids um because they knew our parents before my dad had significant dep- uh, dementia and they saw him deteriorate over the years Mm. Um, and, and for my son, it was just devastating to have my mom, um, so destroyed by the stroke. Her brain was so damaged by Mm. the stroke. She could not speak. She only understood maybe 40% of receptive speech. Um, and she didn't understand like the things people use with stroke victims because they still had to do with language, you know, like pointing to a picture or whatever. Um, so, uh, he was really close to my mom and my mom just doted on him and adored him. Um, and it, it was, it was pretty devastating to the family. Yeah. I'm very sorry. Yeah. Well, luckily they're, they've passed on, which yeah. is, it was just like that. Cause I knew they never would have wanted My dad was adamant that he didn't want to go into memory care or leave his house because they lived on the beach, you know, and I understand loving living on the beach, but it wasn't a safe situation. Yeah. Um, 
So, um, and there's no way any caregiver would take care of them because my dad would drink. So, um, it had to be in a situation where they couldn't drink. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah. yeah, so it was, it was tough. It was tough. Um, well, uh, so you wrote this book, Balancing Act, Writing Through a Bipolar Life. Uh, you don't need to market it, but I'm going to tell the listeners that, uh, you should buy it. Um, is yes, there, is there a place you. to buy it? Yeah, it's on Amazon and I think it's on other places too. Um, but definitely just, uh, if they go to my website, kidomalley.com, actually, if you just look up kidomalley, you'll get, probably get me, Yeah. but kidomalley.com. And I have a link, you know, like a picture of my book and then a link by it. And it takes you to Amazon. Um, but there are other, if you don't like Amazon, I think there are other places you can buy the book too. I just haven't updated that because it was published by a publisher. Then the publisher went out of business. Mm. And so I self-published it. And so I'd have to go and yeah. I haven't like, because so much has happened, sure. I had to republish it at the same time that my mom died. Oh, so, you know, it's too just, much, too much. Yeah. Like, well, I'll make sure all those links are in the show notes uh, for sure. And listeners, definitely pick it up because you're supporting an independent author. You're also learning about Kit's story and learning about what bipolar disorder is. I think yes. it's important to, if we all have mental health, which we do, we all do, uh, it's important to learn about these things, to to allow us into other people's lives and allow that opportunity for empathy to happen. So uh, do that, read her book, buy it, send it to a friend, all of those things. Uh, <laughs> Kit, uh, before we wrap up though, we always, we always wrap up the show talking about empathy heroes. Okay. These are people in our lives who uh, just have a great big heart, you know, great deal of empathy. They could even be characters from stories or books or movies we liked. Um, etc. I will go first to give you a moment to think on your empathy hero. Uh, my empathy hero uh, actually is a is a collection of heroes. It's uh, a couple months ago, prior to I may have even already used these empathy heroes, but I don't care. <laughs> um, a couple of months ago, prior to the coronavirus thing, I did a little empathy workshop at the Laguna College of Art and Design. Uh, in an illustration class, and it was just such a beautiful experience. And uh, this week, or maybe it was last week, I got to um, do a Zoom call with that class, and and part of their homework for the class was to create postcards to uh, a past version of themselves, a future version of themselves, and then just one for them in the present. And the idea is to... Um, use those opportunities to empathize with a past version of themselves, um, them as a child, for instance, or um, empathize with them in the future, um, just to sort of engage those empathy muscles. And I got to, uh, in this Zoom call, I got to go through and see all of their beautiful art and reflect on it. And they got to tell me about the process and what it means to them. And it was, it was just so beautiful. And it reminded me, A, that the world is getting more feely. We are being more accepting of these things. You know, I see these young students just with these big hearts and vulnerabilities. And I know when I was 19, 20, 21 years old, like, 
you know, I was not that. I was, mm-hmm. I was, I was a mess, and it just gives me hope, and it makes me just so happy that they connected with the message of empathy, and um, it just made me happy. So, they're the the LCAD students are my empathy heroes this week. Yay, Yay. for Laguna College of Art and Design. Or I might have muffled that up, but yeah, that's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, thank you. Um, I the first thing people I thought of were my husband and my son and my son as he's grown to be a wonderful loving adult when I was the sickest like my son thought I had COVID-19 because I it was an upper respiratory thing Mm. but when I was my sickest and I was like if I talked I would cough and all that kind of stuff my son would check in with me um he wouldn't get real close to me but he'd (laughs) come in it's like how are you doing are you feeling better and he always was that kid you know like I remember taking him to like once to a mall and a baby was crying and he said, is the baby, he was a toddler. <laughs> so cute. And he said, is the, is the baby, um, is the baby okay? The baby's sad. He's crying. And it was so sweet. I was just mm. like, Oh my gosh, he yeah. is so adorable. It's and beautiful. then when my mom had her, um, stroke and she was depressed because of the stroke he went up one of our visits he went up and he hugged her and he said grandma i I know you're going to be okay he said i've had depression and i'm okay so i know you're going to be okay i know it's hard to have depression but i know you're going to be okay and i was just like oh my gosh it was totally unsolicited he just did all that on his own Hmm. And I was just like, that's truly empathy. Yeah. Um, and um, and then I just have like a shout out to NAMI and to people like Steve Pittman who um, have supported us. And actually David Sussman too, who's a mental, uh, mental health professional who supported uh, the mental health advocates. I, I just want to give a shout out to those leaders who um, are leading in, uh, you know, helping Um Others yeah. have compassion and understanding for what it's like not only to live with mental illness, but for the families who uh, take care of those or are concerned about those with mental illness. Yeah. Um, so those yeah. would be my, I have more than one too. It's hard <laughs> to only have one. <laughs> no, I mean, there's so many wonders out there. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. That's beautiful. Um, well, Kit, where, uh, remind the listeners where they can, um, you know, connect with you, uh, all that stuff. Okay. You can, um, I, I'm just going to give the, the, the basic kit K I T T O M A L L E Y.com is my website. I have links to all my social media presences, you know, those little icons are on my <laughs> website and I have a link to my book on my website. So, um, I'm all over the place. I'm on Facebook, you can just look up my name, K-I-T-T-O-M-A-L-L-E-Y. I'm on um, uh, Twitter, Instagram, you know, uh, YouTube, everywhere. <laughs> all the places. SoundCloud, you know, I just, uh, yeah, all the places. LinkedIn, um, yeah. Wow. Excellent. So, yeah, I'm kind of, I, I did marketing before, mm-hmm. uh, kind of my temp job turned into a a uh, 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 career in commercial real estate and commercial real estate finance. So, um, so I, I picked up some skills there. Picked up some <laughs> skills. Nice. 
Well, um, <laughs> listeners, those links will be in the show notes for this episode. Uh, Kit, thank you so much for being a part of You Me Empathy. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. And listeners, as I always say, I'm here, you're here, we're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, awe-inspiring, pale blue dot. We have each other. It's You Me Empathy. Oh.